It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Michael Reed on LMFM. Some three and a half thousand people are represented in a letter to the Taoiseach and the British Prime Minister. These are people who are relatives of people who have been killed as part of the troubles on this island. The letter has appeared in newspapers in Belfast and in the Irish Echo in New York and the relatives of the deceased say that they're writing as relatives bereaved during the conflict to to seek your assurances that our human rights as victims will no longer be disregarded or denied. The peace process has repeatedly failed to deliver on our rights to truth, justice and accountability. We're joined by Mark Thompson, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Relatives for Justice, uh, the group that has instigated this. Good morning to you, Mark, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Tell us a, a little bit more about what you're hoping from uh, the governments in Dublin and London. Well, thank you, first of all, for giving us the opportunity, Michael, to be on the show. Um, I suppose for your listeners, we, we had a peace process in 1998, which was hugely successful and welcomed and uh, changed the whole dynamic. But I suppose in the context of the conflict, there'd been so much unresolved hurt and pain for the victims of the conflict throughout three decades, and that issue wasn't uh, properly addressed. There have been numerous attempts to address those issues in terms of outstanding accountability and so forth from all the parties to the conflict. But I suppose in particular the British state in which there was a de facto policy of impunity where soldiers and police officers weren't held to account for the crimes that they committed and in particular especially around collusion. And so uh, the initiatives that had failed and then finally in December 2014 uh, both the governments and all the main political parties agreed a set of principles and proposals to implement, to take forward, the, uh, to address the legacy of the past, known as the Stormont House Agreement. And that has yet to be implemented. Indeed, not long after the agreement, in an arbitrary move, the British government then inserted into draft legislation a national security veto uh, and seek records to prevent any emergence of facts of their involvement in the conflict. And Minister Charlie Flanagan, who helped negotiate that, at the time had described that as a smothering blanket and shameful. And the British government have prevaricated uh, on numerous occasions from implementing the agreement. Um, they've went to the United Nations where they go to periodic hearings where governments are held to account and to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg following judgments. And they've been saying for several years, well, we have this wonderful set of principles and we're going, we're going to uh, implement them. But when they come back into this jurisdiction in the north, they don't do that. And I suppose families have felt 
you know, frustrated loved ones who have campaigned for years and want truth and acknowledgement and recognition of the hurt and pain that they suffered and accountability and culpability established. They've been dying off. And I suppose what we were doing was giving a unified voice to all of those people affected by everyone uh, to say quite clearly and quite loudly, we want this agreement implemented. It was a compromise. It provided a human rights pathway forward. And as victims as well, this isn't in the benevolence of any government or the goodwill of it. Victims have rights, and the, both the governments sign international treaties and covenants to protect and uphold the citizens' rights, but particularly in terms of citizens that have been harmed or been bereaved. And I suppose, from our perspective, we just want the implementation. What's probably important is that there seems to be a mood within the British that they can prevaricate and move away from implementing the agreement and somehow wait on older relatives and generations to, to die off. Um, 50% of those who signed the ad are 35 years and under. They are the current generations and future generations. It's incredible. I'm sorry, there's an echo on the line, uh, Mark. Uh, It it really is incredible because we're over 30 years now since uh, the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. Uh, So uh, a lot of the people who have signed this letter uh, may have not been born or or were toddlers, uh, if they were for that matter, if half of the 3,500 people were under the age of 35. Well, exactly. And they grew up, Michael, in homes whereby maybe, say, say uh, a parent of theirs had uh, their own parent killed or a sibling killed or a relative killed. And there's a picture on the wall and they hear about that and they, they see the transgenerational impact on the families and that their parents have campaigned and they want the truth. And, and they grew up with mm-hmm. it. And I suppose in one sense they're saying, well, we want to get this resolved. And I there's suppose- an obligation on uh, the British government, uh, the Irish government uh, as well. Uh, but can you explain to us why this letter appeared in uh, The Echo in New York? Well, what we were trying to do as well, there's been, a, we, we've, as an organisation at Relatives for Justice, have provided evidence to the United Nations, to the European Court, and to a number of international forums and fora, including the US Congress and the Senate. We've testified before congressional hearings. And I suppose there's been an awareness of the assistance of the peace process in nudging it forward and providing the political and necessary support they implemented. And there's been a number of congressional hearings that have heard evidence about if it's the case of Pat Finucane, for example, or if it's around human rights and policing and dealing with the legacy of the past. And following those hearings, they, they congr- the Congress have written on numerous occasions to the UK government to seek assurances that they would uphold human rights and implement the agreement. And they've given commitments which they've broken to the to the Congress as well. And what we're saying is that there's a, a new administration coming in, um, you know, and we're, we're saying again, Irish America put its shoulder to the wheel in terms of the peace process and ensuring that the talks were chaired neutrally by George Mitchell and that a number of the outcomes were successful. And in some senses, many of the, many of the families that, 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 that have signed this live in New York, the, mm. the generations that have moved from, from particularly in counties Tyrone and Armagh and places like that, who suffered grievously, who, who, who lost relatives or are out there working. And so we, we, there's great support from the Irish diaspora. And what we're basically saying is we need to harness that support to, 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 to create the, the, the goodwill and to kind of move this issue forward. And, and, and the U.S. administration, the lobbying of it by Irish America in terms of... of, of, of saying to the British, you just need to get on with this and you need to implement it. You made a deal, now you need to seal the deal. Stay with me for a minute, uh, Mark, uh, because uh, I want to talk about Top of the Pops for a moment, uh, because, uh, as you say, uh, half the people who uh, have signed this letter are under the age of uh, 35, and they wouldn't 
have watched Top of the Pops 40 years ago. Uh, they won't remember seeing ABBA and Kate Bush on Top of the Pops 40 years ago, back in 1981. Uh, but uh, they were some of Carol Ann Kelly's favourites. Uh, she's a lovely little girl. I'm looking at a photograph of her. She was just 12 years of age uh, back in 1981 uh, when she was killed. Uh, Mark Kelly is her brother. He lives in County Louth and he's on uh, the line with us. And uh, a very good morning to you, Mark, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, the family were in Belfast uh, in 1981. Tell us what happened. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having us on. Um, basically, on the 19th of May, 1981, um, beautiful evening, a lot of kids out on the street playing. It was an evening before um, there was an election to be held. And there was British soldiers in the school in the estate we lived in in Twimber, just outside Belfast. Um, it was a quiet evening. There was a lot of kids still out on the street because there'd been quite a bit of trouble in the estate. Um, the few weeks before that, Bobby Sands, who was actually from the Twimber estate, had died on hunger strike and was buried. And there was trouble after that. A young girl called Julie Livingstone, who lived a couple of miles from the estate, had been killed with a plastic bullet. So there had been a lot of trouble in the estate, and on this particular day, then things had settled down a lot. Kids were back on the street playing, so we were out on the street kicking a ball about and stuff, and we seen the British Army coming in the top of the estate, driving very fast and stuff. So obviously, as children, we wanted to know what they were doing and where they were going. So they continued in around the estate, and as they drove past us, um, they fired a plastic bullet. So they did. Carlan heard the bang from the first plastic bullet and turned to come back around behind the fence to try and get some cover. And there was another shot fired, and she was hit in the back of the head with the plastic bullet. Um, just after she was shot, then the British soldiers pulled into the side of the road. Two of the soldiers jumped out of a Land Rover and ran up towards Carlan, where she was lying on the street. One of them threw his rifle on the ground, tried to administer first aid for her. Now he was actually standing a couple of feet from Carlisle when she was shot. So How old were you at the time, Mark? I was 13. Carlisle was 12 and I was 13. Um, I was that close to her that I, I, I knew myself she was dead um, at that stage. Like I knew there was no, no help in her. Um, so there was a bit of trouble and shouting and screaming at the soldiers. Obviously, there's a jail on, on the ground dead. and You know, people at that time, a lot of children about... Why? Why were they shooting? If you don't, if you don't know the situation in in, in Belfast or the, or the troubles where we grew up as children, you know people often ask me why or how I grew up there and what what was like. It's just something you get along with. But the British Army would regularly come into houses and estates and stuff like that and shoot up. And in fact, the day after Carlan, they shot Carlan. They came back into the estate again and shot plastic bullets through the bedroom windows of, of our house and the neighbour's house next door. Um, A no total reason. atrocity. There was no reason, no rhyme or reason to them uh, letting off uh, bullets like that. Uh, but they did. Uh, and we hear about innocent victims. Uh, none could be more innocent uh, than your sister. I mean, you were more or less the same age. Uh, at 12 years of age, uh, an innocent little girl has nothing more than Ada or Kate Bush or whatever worries little girls on their mind. Uh, so a totally innocent victim. That's the thing with Carlisle's case. And I, I think that's a lot of the reason why there hasn't been a court case over it. And they refused to 
give evidence. And they were, like, as I say, I was standing no more than two feet from her when she was shot. I've never been interviewed by the police. I've never been questioned. I've never had done had anything asked of me. Um, and they know there is, they, like, what reason can you give people that you shot a 12-year-old child in the back of the head? There's, there's no reason. Mm. There's no excuse for it. You know, if anyone can try and excuse that by making up whatever stories they like, but she was shot in the back. They can't even say she was any danger to them. Mm. You know, and if you've seen Carnan, she was a very slight chain and was never would have been in any trouble, would never have preferred to be in any trouble in the street. She wouldn't have been on it. Um, and it was a horrendous time for my mum and, and the family, obviously, for mm. the years, because the press and the newspapers started printing stories and saying there was red and petrol bombs and you know, all sorts of stories. And, and it's never been, the truth has never actually been told. Will you, know, you ever? Will you ever be able to reckon your, reconcile yourself with what happened, regardless of what the governments do? I, th- I think one of the biggest problems for me growing up, and I rarely, rarely ever read newspapers, to be honest with you, because of what I've seen and, and read. And but there was a lot of children around the street that day that seen Carlan land on the street, you know. And and I know a lot of them. If I go home now, I, I actually give them done dog. And if I go home to Belfast, and a lot of them will be still talking about her and, and they'd speak to me about her. Um, obviously, I remember her every day, but it, it's about the justice. If you, if you, if there's no justice in society, then there is no proper society. And the British government are continuously put barricades in the way of justice. They, they, you know, they're, they're locking papers away. They're, they're making excuses why there can't be court cases, cost, all sorts of different reasons. But as Mark Thompson was saying there, you know, there's kids that were just born or weren't even born when their relatives were killed. And now they are looking for truth and justice. So this is going to continue. The people are never going to give up looking for justice. They're going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And the Irish government have a responsibility as well because a lot of the citizens that were killed in the North were Irish citizens. And they need to stand up and they need to show these people that there is support there for them. And for the judicial system, it's justice we're after. We're not after anything else, only justice. Okay, Mark Thompson, uh, that's an incredible story that Mark Kelly tells. Uh, But uh, the letter uh, that you've had published uh, represents three and a half thousand similar stories. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and ironically, one of the families that signed it is the family of Patrick McElhone, where a coroner yesterday delivered a verdict on his killing to say that there was no justification for the British Army to shoot him in the back um, and it was shot in cold blood. And the soldier that shot him is now dead. Um, but that's the point as well in terms of having the official narrative um, corrected and the historical narrative kind of corrected. The recovery of historical memories important too in the sense that we need official processes that kind of say, because, because technically the almost 400 killings carried out by the British Army and the RUC, and that's not... The, the issue of collusion, which is quantifiably much more, but it's it, it, the, the, in the in the statute books or the the, the kind of the, the courts and the criminal justice mm. system, it's justifiable homicide, and unfortunately, the the, the harrowing description that Mark give account of Carol Ann isn't um, a one off. You know, eighty eighty children were killed by British soldiers, and there was no justice for any of them. And as Mark says, lies were told. And it won't be possible to achieve justice in many of the cases because it happened so long ago. People have died. People have forgotten memories or whatever. Uh, But uh, if it's not possible to get justice through the courts, what else can be done? Should there be redress? Uh, Should there be a truth commission? 
these are the legacy issues uh, that uh, have been ignored for uh, over 40 years in Mark's case. Uh, and uh, as time goes on, it's going to get more difficult. Well, there, there is evidence, um, the state hold evidence, but they refuse to disclose it and they refuse to provide it. And which is why there's been that the issue of legacy has been so contested. On one hand, the British government and some unionist politicians are saying that there are vexatious prosecutions. Well, well, you know, the prosecutions are taken by the Public Prosecution Service, which is the, the British Prosecution Service. The investigations are conducted by British officers. So, you know, there, there, there's a move that's quite jingoistic, if you, if you will, in terms of the Brexit context, by saying that these poor soldiers are being hounded down and, 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 and they're being uh, uh, the subject of witch hunts. And and they're portraying British soldiers who, who killed people as being the victims, which is shameful and uh, it's just completely unacceptable. And I think that the, the toxic nature of how the British government have approached this and, and, and how they've hid behind all of those issues in terms of uh, creating smoke screens is just it, it's just adds further insult the injury. They mm-hmm. agree to a human rights compliant investigative process. They can do it. They won't implement it and they won't resource it. And we're asking the Irish government to actually, you know, stand up uh, for victims and speak out and call them out. And we're asking Irish America to do that. And, we, you know, the British government won't listen to families living in the north. They'll listen to the Irish government. They'll listen to the U.S. government. They'll listen to the international pressure. That's the only time they'll move. They'll never do anything out of goodwill. They break every agreement. Mm-hmm. We, Brexit is just an example of you've seen how they've behaved on the international stage. We've been living with that for four decades as families fighting against great odds against everything families and lawyers representing families never got legal aid all the resources were at the at the disposable uh, at the at the state's uh, arm and and so the the uneven battles that families have had to fight admirably and with great integrity integrity in the face of everything that they've had to endure so you know the peace process is here you know, this is the last outstanding part of the peace process, and we're, we're urging Irish America, the Irish government, and, and the international community. It's a very it. long road to justice if justice is ever to be achieved. And uh, maybe I can conclude uh, by asking Mark Kelly about all of that. Uh, do you know uh, the soldiers uh, who would have been I- I involved uh, when your sister Caroline uh, lost her life uh, from that plastic bullet. Is it possible to identify them? Do you know if uh, they're alive with the passage of time? Is it possible to produce enough evidence to secure uh, prosecution for that matter? And is that what you would hope for? Well, I'm not sure if the soldier's still alive, but yes, I know, I know his name and I know the names of the soldiers. I actually have the HCP report here in front of me um, and what they claim happened that day. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason why justice can't be found. It's up to the British to put forward the evidence or at least investigate these crimes. As I say, I was on the street and say, Carnal, when she was shot, I've never been spoken to. I know numerous other people who were there were never spoken to. So there was never a proper investigation in the Carlan's death. And um, they spoke to two people. They took two or three, they had two or three interviews, and one of the interviews was the lady whose house they then shot up with plastic bullets the night after she gave the interview. Um, so intimidation has been there as well for many years. My, the rest of my family were intimidated by them many, many times. My older brothers and sisters, house searches, arrests, stuff like that there. Um, 
And like Mark Thompson says, there we we've been calling and fighting for years, and, and it's forty years. Carnal's fortieth anniversary is in May this year, so we have been fighting and fighting for it, um, and we're not going to stop. We're not. We're going to be here, and you know, as long as I live, I'll be fighting for it. Um, but we do need international help. We do need help from the American government. We do need help from the European Union, who who stood by for a long, long time and allowed these tests to continue because. There are many, many, many hundreds of unsolved and even uninvestigated crimes um, that the state carried out in the north of Ireland. And the Irish government definitely need to put their hand in here and try and help some of the victims and some of the families. Um, And you've asked about redress. Yes, I think people do deserve redress, but money and stuff like that is the last thing on most people's minds. I think um, truth and justice is, is the priority for the majority of the families in the north of Ireland who suffered and around the world who are still suffering to this day because I know I suffer every day with it. Yeah, I can hear that from you. And when you said you think about Caroline every day, it really uh, struck a, a chord, I'm sure, with most people listening to us uh, this morning. Thanks for talking to us, uh, Mark, uh, and uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Mark Kelly uh, is uh, living in Dundalk at the moment. His sister, Caroline, was killed on the 22nd of May 1981 by a plastic bullet in Belfast. We were also talking to Mark Thompson, who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Relatives for Justice. Michael Reed on LMFM. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? 
We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.